Thank you for tuning in to True Dominion Ministries podcast. I am your host, Latanya Stevens. I hope that you all had a great and happy new year. Today is January 15, 2019, y'all. So I am so happy to be here. We made it this far. Um, This week will be a little different. We will not have marriage ministry this coming Thursday, the 17th, because today I am starting a series called The Cross. This series will be on Tuesday, which is today, January 15th, Thursday, January 17th, next Tuesday, January 21st, as well as the following Thursday, January 24th. So those are the dates that this series will continue. Please remember to visit our website at www.truedominionministries.com where you can visit my daily blog where I give you some questions to ask yourself. So it's called Ask Yourself Blog. I'm going to begin this series talking about the cross because this is what the Lord had given to me and it was a struggle for the last three weeks. It was just, I I thought that I would go into this one way and the Lord told me, he said, just read it. And I said, okay, Lord, just read it. He said, yes, just read it because your audience does not read. I said, okay, God, um, all right, I understand. And I'm thinking logically, okay, I do do a podcast. That's what you called me to do. And so they are listeners. So they may prefer to listen than to read. So he showed me where our generation, we, we just, we lack knowledge, okay? We, we know what the scripture says about lacking knowledge, and, and we perish because of that. But however, the true fact is we lack the knowledge of God. And so as he was telling me to read this, I was like, okay, so you, you, do you want me to just to read the uh, last two chapters of the gospel, you know, specifically about the cross? And he said, no, he said, read it. And I said, okay, Lord, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna read it, you know, I'm gonna read it. Okay. Well, he, he explained to me, um, I didn't need to come up with a sermon. I didn't need to come up with a message because he is the message. Okay. And in that message, he, what he was saying is you can't tell my story better than I've already told it anyway. So I, you know, that was a checkmate, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you guys is Holy ghost work, but you know, when the Lord speaks to me, he corrects me, you know, he, he puts me in my place and lets me know, no, ma'am, you're not doing this. I'm doing this. I've already done this. Okay. So when it comes to the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we all know that they're pretty much the same. It just comes from different perspectives. So I am going to actually be reading out of the book of John in its entirety. That's why this is a series and I will be reading from the word of God. So you won't hear my opinion and my own thoughts of what the word or interpretation of what the word is saying, you can get it for yourself. And I will be reading out of the, the application study Bible, the new living translation. So if you have that, you can read it with me. Or if you know what I'm going to be reading uh, on the following days, then you can follow with me or you can read it. And how about this? Why don't you read it? And if you have questions after I've done the podcast, you can email me any questions or concerns that you 
might have. The email is True Dominion Ministries at gmail.com. That's True Dominion Ministries at gmail.com. And this can be a discussion. We're here to talk about the Lord, and I'm glad about it. But I don't want to be before you long. So here's what I'm going to do. Of course, I said I'm going to be reading from the book of John. Matthew was specifically to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the eternal king. And Mark was to present the person, the work and the teachings of Jesus. And Luke was to present an accurate account of the life of Christ and to present Christ as the perfect human and savior. And the gospel of John, which I'll be reading from, was to prove conclusively that Jesus is the son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. So I will be reading from the gospel of John once again, because number one, if you were to start off reading the Bible in its chronological order, you would start from John chapter one. Okay. And then you would go on to Genesis. So I am going to be breaking this up because I want the new Christians as well as the searching non-Christians, which were also the audience of Apostle John to really understand that we are believers. I know we have used the word Christians, uh, saints and all of those other things, but we are believers. Okay. Who believe in Jesus. We believe that he died for our sins as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. He then arose on the third day. And by believing that we have eternal life, we understand who Jesus is and we are compelled to believe what he says in his word. So I'm going to begin to read John chapter one, beginning with verse one. And like I said, I'm reading on the New Living Translation. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse six, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God they are reborn not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan but a birth that comes from God so the word became human so in that's verse 14 so the word became human and made his home among us we're talking about Jesus he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory the glory of the father's one and only son verse 15 John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one 
who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Okay. And we're talking about Jesus. All of that is about Jesus. Okay. John the Baptist is telling, he's testifying about there's someone else. There's someone that's greater than I am. Okay. In verse 19, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leader sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet? We are expecting. No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptized. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by. John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth exclaimed, Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree from before Philip 
found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I have seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. And that is chapter one. And I want to just reiterate and go over a couple of things over chapter one. Number one, chapter one introduces who Jesus is and who God is. And also speaking of John the Baptist, number one, knew exactly what his purpose was. He knew what his assignment was and whatever your assignment is, it will be revealed to you by God. He'll show you a thing. It may, it's going to take relationships as well. It's going to take a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship with God, he will reveal things to you whether he tells you himself or he sends someone else to tell you but nine times out of ten if someone else is coming to tell you what God said it's because he's already spoken it to you you just chose to ignore him or to neglect that thing that he was talking to you about and also in as far as the disciples, if you look where the disciples um, begot other disciples Jesus didn't go and get everybody this is where Andrew went and got Simon, his brother, and Philip went and got Nathaniel. So when the, when you think about the people in church, the body of Christ, we disciples are to go and get other disciples. Whatever we learn, whatever we are taught, we're supposed to go get others and bring them to the church as a disciple so that they can learn and grow as well. We're not to leave our brothers and sisters behind. And when uh, Nathaniel also said, can anything good come from Nazareth? First of all, that's a stereotype. Don't be hindered by what you think you know about people. Let me say that, okay? Don't be hindered by what you think you know about people because of the color of their skin, because of what neighborhood they come from, because of what church they sit in or who they are under. Don't be fooled and hindered by what you think you know about people. Okay. And I'm going to go on to chapter two. And this is where Jesus turns water into wine. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come, which he was talking about. It wasn't time for him to be doing any miracles. Verse five, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Then the jars had been filled. He said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. So it lets you know exactly exactly the value Jesus gave his best. Oh, this miraculous sign 
at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Verse 13, it says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then the disciples remembered his prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. And I want to say the house of God is meant for worship. The main purpose of the temple, the main purpose of the church is for us to worship. It is disrespectful to God when we bring our merchandise to make a profit. I know some people are going to be mad at that. It's okay, but this is the word. You can read it for yourself. John chapter two. Okay. Verses 13 through 17. He said, get these things out of here. When there is anything that you bring into the house of God that disrupts or distracts people from worshiping, from being delivered, from being healed, from being set free from their sin, anything that is is accountable for their or their distraction. Guess what? It don't belong in the church. And I won't go through a whole lot of things that people bring in the church to sell. You know what I'm saying? To, to, to put a little bit of money in their pocket, you better learn how to keep it separate, baby. I'm going to tell you, keep it separate because you on a very thin line. The house of God was meant for worship. It was not for you to make sales. But I'm going to keep going on. Verse 18. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Jesus knows the heart of every man. You don't need to tell him what you're like. You don't need to try to prove to him that you're a good saint and that you go to church and that you pray every now and then or whatever the case may be, depending on your relationship with him. You don't have to do that because he knows your heart and he knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows the sin that's in your heart as well. So a lot of people use that scripture as, oh, well, he know my heart. Okay, well, that might be that same sin that's in your heart that he know too. So make sure you know what your heart as well. 
So I'm going to go on to chapter three. It says there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, hear this. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's verse three. Verse four says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied. I want y'all to listen to all of this because this is Jesus talking. Okay. From verse five, all the way to verse 21, Jesus is speaking. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. That means you have to believe. OK, verse eight. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Verse nine. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about my earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the son of man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This is where we are called believers, okay? We must believe in Jesus to be born again, okay? And I want to read the commentary for verse 8. Verse 8 said, The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 
The commentary for that says Jesus explained that we cannot control the work of the Holy Spirit. He works in ways we cannot predict or understand. And a lot of us, we, we try to figure God out. We try to we try to act like we know Jesus like he, you know, he our homeboy or, or, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So we don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to move. We have to we have to speak to God in spirit. We we are a spirit. So we have to communicate in spirit and also the Bible says that when we when we pray in the spirit, it's, it is unfruitful because we don't know what we pray for because we know not what to ask. So when we are in the spirit and we because we are a spirit, God and Jesus deals with us on a spiritual level. OK, he, he ain't dealing with you in the natural. The natural is, is like the outcome effect of what he was trying to get you to do. But because now you in turmoil and now that you see the back end of, of what you put your hand into. Now he's saying, oh, well, I tried to tell you. But we have to make sure that we are born again. We have to believe in Jesus Christ, because if we don't believe in him, then it it. it it clearly says we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So if we can't enter the kingdom of heaven, what is the reason why? Because we don't believe we reject him. We, we reject his love. We reject him, his ways. We reject his will for our life. And so when we do those things, there is a consequence behind that. And anything that's not like him anyway is sin. So we need to check our hearts and we need to check our motives and our intents on what we say we are and who we say we believe and who's we say we belong, who we, who we say we belong to. I'm going to go ahead and on to uh, verse 22 says, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them, there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anan near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true for he is sent by God. He speaks God's word words for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. Once again, this goes back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew his place, his assignment and his purpose. 
Okay, he didn't have time to be jealous of Jesus because he was baptizing people too. He knew what Jesus was there for. He knew that he was God's son. He knew that he was the Messiah. So he plainly told them that his disciples who he was. He plainly told his disciples what his position was. And he said, therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. You know, this happens a lot of times with between disciples and between brothers and sisters of Christ. Okay. We all should be rooting for each other. We all should want to see each other become greater and greater. We all should should be able to help someone else with our expertise, whatever it is that we know, whatever information we can give. But everybody is trying to to be uh, self-righteous and thinking that God is either only speaking to them or God only gave them this revelation or God only gave them this thing to do, whether it be writing books, whether it be being on TV, whether it be having a mega church, whether it be, you know, traveling the world. Sometimes we get in each other's way and we get in God's way because God said his word had to go around the world before the world became to an end. So because of that, how do you think that has to happen? Everybody has to get to work. Somebody has to go somewhere to tell somebody about Jesus. So we need to take a look at that scripture, okay? And look at John the Baptist. Yes, he was the one that first came on the scene and he was preparing the way for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But he knew that he was not there for himself. He knew that he was not there to just to have a title. OK, John the Baptist. He, he knew that he wasn't there for long. He knew that he was living for God, but he was also going to die for God. So if we know our position and we know our purpose and we know our assignment, then we don't have time to be jealous and envious of nobody because we have a work to do because I promise you when we all get to heaven and we're on judgment day and God says okay so what did you do because I saw that you were worried about this person and what they were succeeding in and they were doing the job that I told them to do but because you were so busy looking at what they did you forgot about what I told you to do so I just want to make that real clear on, on chapter three. You might want to go and read that if you're dealing with any kind of jealousy or envy or even feeling like, you know, somebody's not supposed to be somewhere. You need to get that out of your heart. OK, now I'm going to go on to chapter four. And this is where Jesus talks to a woman at the well. And it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John through Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you 
get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> I want to stop right there because at this point, she's not even impressed. She's like, you must be a prophet. But because he exposed her sin, this is what she does. She changes the subject. Verse 20. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while you Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her. I am the Messiah. <laughs> that right there, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. He says, I am the Messiah. Okay. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while he while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Verse 34. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know, the same four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get together the harvest. God is good, y'all. God is good. God is so good. I hope y'all got that. I hope y'all really got that. Okay. First of all, 
Jesus was he when he said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about, that's spiritual. That food that fills you up, this word that fills you up till you get you become so full, you become so sleepy and tired. Try reading your Bible when you're tired. I bet you you'll fall right to sleep. <laughs> I promise you that. Okay, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. That verse right there. Now we believe not just because what you have told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And this is what I want you to do as you listen to me. I want you to hear him for yourself. OK, and I want you to read Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, so faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. OK, you need to get this in your spirit, what Jesus said. And I understand why he wants me to read it, because you need to hear it. No more of this. You need to go home and read it for yourself. I'm just going to go over two lines and then, you know, you can read the rest of it yourself. No, we're going to read this together because when judgment day comes, I don't want you to look back and say, I didn't have the opportunity. Oh, no, he gave you the opportunity because the one thing about it, you can't unhear this. You can't unhear this because you know what he's going to say. Yeah, remember that day you was listening to that podcast and that she was reading uh, the gospel of John telling you about me and you refused. Okay. All right. But I won't go there. Verse 43. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself has said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. To go over uh, verse 44, he himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. You know, when you begin to change and when you begin to be delivered and fall away from your sin, you no longer have the same friends. You no longer hang in the same places. Your attitude has even changed. And a lot of times people will try to make you remember who you were and what you did a long time ago and, the, and how much you used to curse and how you used to sleep around and how you used used to talk about people and gossip and how you used to drink or do drugs or whatever the visual sin may have been for you okay people will try to remind you of that but when you come to them and you come back to them with the word of God when you come back to them with scripture they'll throw up in your face who you once were and what you once did and what he's saying is a prophet is not honoring his own home. And I don't believe he just means a prophet only, you know, whoever he's sending to give his word, whoever he's sending out to go be a disciple. When you come back home to your hometown, people sometimes won't receive you because of the simple fact of who you were. And they believe that you don't you don't you can't change God. You know, God isn't that powerful for you to change that much. OK, so. Just just be aware of who you are at all times and be aware that when you're delivered from a thing and when you are set free from the thing, nobody, nobody can keep you there. OK, and the only person that can keep you there is yourself. 
Verse 46 says, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to, to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The officials pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies then jesus told then jesus told him go back home your son will live and the man believed what jesus said and started home while the man was on his way some of his servants met him with with the news that his son was alive and well he asked him when the boy had begun to get better and they replied yesterday afternoon at one o'clock his fe his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Okay, Jesus, he didn't have to touch his boy. He didn't have to lay hands. He didn't have to see him physically. Um, all he needed was the man's belief and the man's faith. Okay. And that, that's the part um, I believe that we have forever taken to get that it is about us believing in the work of God and believing in uh, Jesus Christ as the son. And when you take the time to just believe a thing, to see a thing, it has to come to pass. It has to come to pass. And if you read this word, find that all the people needed to have was faith. All the people needed to have was to believe him and believe what he said. There is no magic tricks here in this Bible. There is no special secret. Okay. He tells you exactly what to do. Worship me. Pray. Honor me. Glorify me. Praise me. It's, it's just as simple as that. Believe. First, you got to believe. First, you got to have faith. Okay. That's the first thing we have to do. On to chapter five, and this is going to be my last chapter. Okay. And it says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning 
or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. And I'm going to stop right there just for a second before I go any further. When Jesus healed this man, he asked him a question and he said, would you like to get well? Sometimes we can't get well and we can't get rid of a thing because we don't want to. We want to hold on to it. When you go to these deliverance ministries and you see preachers um, rolling on the floor with these people trying to cast out demons and all of that thing. Let me let me tell you something. First of all, Jesus ain't never did that. He either told a demon to shut up or he told them to come out. And that's the way people were delivered from demons. Okay. Now he asked him because he needed his permission, because if he did not have faith enough to believe God or that he could be healed from being paralyzed, then there was nothing Jesus needed to do. If he want to hold on to his crippleness, then Jesus will let you hold on to your crippleness. Okay. Because that he did not design for you to be disabled. And I know that's going to hurt some people's feelings, but he did not design us to be sick with illnesses, with diseases and with uh, any type of disabilities. Jesus didn't design us that way. I'm sorry. And this passage reveals that to you. If you can look past what what any type of emotions that you might have by me saying that. Okay. so what I'm saying is he asked him first. And the man said, he said, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always get there ahead of me. First of all, he's waiting for people to do it for him. So he's at the pool that lets you know that he has faith. He's going to get in the water one day, but it's been 38 years, bro. It's been 38 years. You still sitting here? You still at this place waiting on somebody to put you in the water? Can't you see that they get trying to get in the water too? Can't you see that they're they're not worried about your needs, they're worried about theirs? So they're not going to take the time to pick you up. They want to make sure that they dip in the water. They want to make sure that they get healed by this water, okay? And so when Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, all he did was command his body what to do. And that's all he did, okay? Because he has that power. He has that authority. Now, going on to verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. He's been there for 38 years. Was it because of his sin? Was it his sin that got him in that position? Was it his sin that was keeping him there for 38 years? Jesus says, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse will may happen to you. If you keep playing with sin, you will find out what can happen to you. 
you want to keep running the streets, you want to keep sleeping with men and you don't know who they are, you want to keep sleeping with men and women and you don't know who they are, you still want to be uh, fornicating and lying and stealing and cheating and doing all these other things that you know you're not supposed to do. We're not even talking about just being a, a Christian or a believer right now, okay? Because if you strictly know the, the right from wrong, then you already know you're going you're going to be judged based on that fact. Not if you read this word, not if you you done read Genesis, the revelations, he, he ain't worried about that. Do you know right from wrong? Because we all have that ability crippled or not. OK, well, I won't go into that. But don't be sitting there practicing sin, thinking that you're going to be healed. Don't be sitting there practicing th sin, thinking that you're going to be delivered. When you sin, you separate yourself. Okay. So let's go on. Verse 19. So Jesus explained. He's saying a whole lot here. So this is Jesus talking for a length amount of time. And then I'm going to be done. So Jesus explained. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He's talking about himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. There's that word believe again. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death unto life. That is what the book of John is about. Okay. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the son of God and those who listen will live. The father has life in himself and he has granted that same life giving power to his son and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Verse 31. If I were to testify on my own behalf, by my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. 
The father gave me these works to accomplish and they proved that he sent me and the father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. You ref yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe for you gladly honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't. I who will accuse you before the father Moses will accuse you yet Moses in whom you put your hopes if you really believed Moses you would believe me because he wrote about me but since you don't believe what he wrote how will you believe what I say Let's get this straight and understood right now does Jesus does not need validation from you Okay, he was already sent. He was already chosen. Okay, he is God himself. He says in verse 36, but I have greater witnesses than John, my teachings and my miracles. Where do we get his teachings from? First of all, the Holy Spirit teaches you got the Bible, the Holy Bible, and it teaches. And he says, and my miracles, the fact that you are here in this world you are a miracle because every baby didn't make it. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You can read these scriptures all day long, but if you ain't changed and you ain't gave your life to Christ and you have not turned from your wicked ways, which means turning from your sin, you have rejected him. Also, when he says, uh, but since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? This is for new believers and non-believers. I'm reading out of this Bible because it is very much self-explanatory. There's nothing that I have to come up with and break down too much for you. There is a lot of uh, it is basic, easy reading. And I would suggest that if you are a new Christian or a non-believer to get a version of the Bible that you is, is best for you, whether it's the message Bible or the New Living Translation Bible, because you need to understand what Jesus is telling you. He's giving you the opportunity to believe in him. He's giving you the opportunity to turn your life over to him so that he can intercede for you between you and his father and our father, God. If you don't believe what's written, there's nothing else he needs to prove. It's just as simple as that. Now, I'm going to come back on Thursday, January 17th, do chapters 6 through 10. I did one through five today. I pray that you go back and you read this or listen to it. If you have questions, like I said, please email me at uh, true dominion ministries at gmail.com. 
and I will be more than happy to answer your questions. I truly want people to learn. It took me a very long time to learn because I really wasn't being taught. So I had to have the initiative to, to go be taught. That was in church and in school. I understand that everything doesn't make sense. And I understand that everything is not, um, everything is not self-explanatory. However, if you have questions, ask. There is no dumb question, okay? Because if I don't know the answer, I will surely go ask my spiritual mother and 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 ask that question so to answer it for myself okay I thank God for this time I pray that whatever sin that you are in whatever whatever you're doing that you know that is not of God I pray that you turn your heart from your wicked ways and that you go back to Jesus I pray that you understand that God is your father I pray that you understand that Jesus did die on the cross for you. I pray that you understand that he was the ultimate sacrifice. We no longer have to kill animals and burning offerings and things. I hope this was good for you. I pray that this was good for you. And I just I just want to do what God says do. OK, he said, read it. And that's what I, I'm afraid. He said that I can't tell retell his story better than he's already told it anyway. And he is so right. He is absolutely right. So, you know, I just pray that this blesses your heart. I pray that you grow to have a relationship with God. And if you've already got one, that it becomes even stronger. I pray that your, your relationship with God is strengthened. I pray that your spirit is strengthened. And I pray that you renew your mind and go seek after God. God bless you. Meet me back here, your host, Latanya Stevens, on Thursday, January 17th at True Dominion Ministries Podcast.